Thanks for listening to the New Stanton Church podcast. Check out our website at newstantonchurch.com where you can find out how to join our live stream at 901 on Sunday mornings. Now let's prepare our hearts for the word that we're about to receive. When I was a teenager in Erie, Pennsylvania, I belonged to a church that was living and active and it had a tremendous focus on missions. And our youth group uh, took the, the tone of that. We worked at the city mission. We folded clothes for the local thrift store. We mobilized to help seniors in our congregation. Uh, and we enjoyed week-long mission conferences. Uh, anybody here old enough to, to remember week-long mission conferences at church? Uh, a couple of you are raising your hands. Um, you're old. Uh, <laughs> but buses used to pick us up every morning from the church and take us to school after we had breakfast with the missionary every single morning. Uh, church families would adopt a missionary for the week so they didn't have to stay in a hotel. And I can remember sitting in our living room listening to missionaries talk about cultures all around the world and how they were trying to show people Jesus in those cultures. Our little church raised somewhere between sixty dollars and $90,000 every single year to spread the gospel around the globe. And one of the ways that our youth group helped in that effort was uh, what would now be a very politically incorrect uh, program called A Slave for a Day. And what would happen is after church, every single member of the youth group would be auctioned off so that they could work for somebody in the church the following weekend. I was normally purchased by a guy named Jake, who was not from State Farm. <laughs> he would have me split and stack firewood all weekend long. It was good times. And I remember at the end of each day over that weekend, Jake, because he had already paid for my back and my brawn uh, to the church, would buy me an ice cream cone from Dodd's Dairy Farm. Now, if there are any people online uh, watching from Corey, you all remember Dodd's Dairy Farm. They used to be a dairy and they had ice cream. And you also are old because they have been closed for at least 25 years. As I was praying about this last You Are message in this series this week, this verse came to my mind. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. That passage actually brought to my mind the first time I was bought with a price as a youth for the missions conference. But those of us who call ourselves Christians, we have all been purchased 
with a high price. We have been purchased with the blood of Jesus. Thanks be to God. Paul tells us in chapter 16, verse 9 of 1 Corinthians, exactly what that means. That means you and I, you, you do not belong to yourself. You and I are owned. The title of this message is, You Are Under Christ's Authority. God's people have always understood that because God acted on our behalf, that we are his, we are under his authority. Look at what God said to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 20. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, God says, I acted on your behalf. I saved you. I set you free. You are mine. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above them or worship them for or in the water below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, because I acted on your behalf, I am a jealous God punishing the children for their sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animal, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, or his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. In the Old Testament, the reason for God's claim on the Israelite was not that he made them in his image, although he did. It wasn't that God was the only God, although he was, is, and will always be. It wasn't because he was the most powerful or the best looking. His claim was that he was the God who acted on the Israelites' behalf and freed them from their bondage. And therefore, God laid out some explanations and expectations for how the Israelites would act as his own possession. We know those as the Ten Commandments. 
Notice they weren't the 10 suggestions. God did not say, you know, pick five out of 10 that you think would work for you and we'll, we'll, we'll be good. No, he said, you shall not. Why? God says, because I traded, I traded lives for you. People died, lambs died. I worked it out so that you could be free and you're mine. Look at Isaiah 43, 4, where God says to his people, others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Now for thousands of years, the Israelites believed that this promise, that, that this special place in God's heart was only for them. They were his people. But then Jesus came and revealed that God's plan was to extend his favor to every single person of every race, of every nation, because God's grace and his love knows no bounds. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? The early Christians, who were Jews by birth, right, wrestled to grasp this truth. And it was Paul who first understood that from the scriptures, that it was God's plan all along to extend his grace to non-Jews. Look at a few of Paul's writings with me. This is Romans 3.9. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jew or Gentile, are under the power of sin. In other words, every single one of us is in the exact same position without Christ. We are all sinners. Romans 4.9. Now this blessing, now is this blessing only for the Jews or is it for also for uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. Paul is making the argument that even the Gentiles can have faith. And then Galatians 3.28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. Slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Through faith in Jesus, we can all experience being delivered from our slavery to sin and death and receive life and freedom. You don't have to be Jewish because God's grace is now available to all. But our freedom in Christ does not mean that we can do absolutely whatever we want. There are still expectations that God places upon us as his people. Everyone who calls Jesus their savior now lives under God's authority. God laid claim to us by his blood. So this morning, I want to kind of flesh out that verse from 1 Corinthians because I think we live in a day when the church is struggling in a mighty way to understand what honoring God with our bodies means. Many people, even in churches, many people want a savior. They want someone who will love them and comfort them and offer them forgiveness, which is great, but they don't want a Lord. 
someone who they surrender to and who has the right to tell them what is acceptable and what is not acceptable with their body. And the other thing that people really kind of bristle about is, is their money, and I won't touch that at all this morning, I promise. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, like God resides here, who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. For the most part, I think that's pretty straightforward. Uh, as a Christian, you and I do not belong to ourselves, and we must honor God with our body. But let, let me just kind of shoot straight. That means that God has the authority to tell you and me what we can and can't do with our body. People struggle with that mightily today. For example, and this has no political agenda attached to it at all, I'm just saying. But when I hear someone quote, my body, my choice, when talking about abortion, I think, you know what? If you are a Christian, that is not your body. And you don't get to make that choice. God owns you. And you fall under Christ's authority. Jeremiah 1.5 says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. God knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. He's talking to Jeremiah, but God knew you. And had a plan for you too before you were even born. He knows all of us like that. Exodus 20, 13 that we just read a moment ago says, you shall not murder. And I'm, I'm sorry if it offends some. I really am. And I know it's hard. But that's not your body. And it's not your choice. I think scripture says that the life growing inside a woman is a unique and special person that God already knows and already has a plan for. But even if someone would try to define that as not a person, you still can't do whatever you want with your body because as a believer, you are owned. The choice that someone does get to make Honoring God with their body starts long beside that person starts growing inside of you. It's a choice whether or not you will honor God with your body by waiting to have sex until marriage. The temptation often to have an abortion is often an attempt to cover up making the wrong choice about having relations with someone before you get married. I think people should confess the one sin without committing another. There are better options, like adoption. And, and I want you to hear my heart, and I think I, it's God's heart. I, I'm not here to sit in judgment over anyone. I, I'm not angry at anyone for the sin that they've committed. I, I don't think God wants us to be like mad or prideful or vindictive. 
We are to offer Jesus to people who are sinners like us. We are to point them to a God who loves them and is gracious and offers forgiveness and who wants them to acknowledge that they are his special possession too. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All of it. It's true for any sin any of us commit. But we need to repent and place ourselves back under the authority of Christ, knowing that we are forgiven. You, you can't shake your fist in God's face and say, you know what, it's not sin because it's my body. No, no it's not. And, and it, it's not your choice, and you don't belong to yourself. The church today, I think, struggles to live under the authority of Christ. And another example Jesus says in Matthew 5, 27 through 28, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The lust of the eyes, one author said, is every man's battle, and it's a lot of women's too. Sexual temptation is absolutely everywhere in our culture today. It destroys marriages, kids, and families. Our culture puts temptation in commercials on the Disney Channel, on pop-up ads on your phone, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. And while those who, who struggle or are addicted are trying to convince themselves, you know what, knowing's being hurt, this is no big deal, it's just between me and whoever, Kids are being trafficked in our world today, and we wonder why. The truth is, people are being harmed. And God says that it's not okay, and that we are not our own. Jesus bought us with a high price, and he wants us to honor him with our bodies. Let me just say, and I'm sure you're aware, that God designed sex, and it's good. And he designed it to meet our needs and our desires for intimacy as an expression of love. And he designed it to be best in the security of a marriage. We love and respect one another best with the gift of physical intimacy in marriage. Outside of marriage, it tends to be less about us and an expression of our love and more about I and what I want and what I need. As believers, we are called to honor his plan with our bodies because we are his. And his plan really is best. This next example I'm going to cover because in all my years, uh, I have never heard a pastor touch this at all. <laughs> But over the years, I've gotten countless emails about it. So I figured, hey, we're on the topic this morning. Why not? Here's the question. Pastor Steve, my spouse and I have not been intimate for X amount of time. Is it possible for a marriage to survive long term without physical intimacy? Wow. How do you honor God with your body in that situation? The answer, in short, is 
Sure, it can survive. Um, love is more than sex. Love is about a commitment, security, and someone having your best in mind all the time, always, till death do you part. If you are married, you promise to love your spouse for better or for worse. Normally, the person that sends me the email um, views it as the worst, <laughs> and the other person, I assume, feels it's better for in some way, shape, or form. The question is, why? Why does your spouse not want to give and receive love through physical intimacy? Did they experience abuse? Even if that was not from you, physical intimacy and trauma may be connected in their mind and in their spirit. Counseling may help. Compassion on your part is greatly needed. Or maybe there's a physical problem or a hormonal imbalance that makes it uncomfortable or undesirable. A doctor may be able to help and come up with some solutions. Again, patience and compassion are needed. But honestly, when someone emails the preacher a question like that, it's often neither of those. Uh, people often go to those other professionals when it's one of those reasons. When they come to me or send me an email, it's usually something different. Maybe the fighting started over money or how to discipline the kids. Whatever the reason, and it could be any number of reasons, I, I, those two are not the only ones, there is a loss of felt love on her part normally, and a loss of feeling respected on his. And one or both of you tend to vilify the other over your differences. You, you didn't start there. But over time, things were said, judgment was cast, and you started to grow apart. The lack of physical intimacy is a byproduct of the growing distance in your relationship. When I get one of those emails, here's the verse many people quote and everyone is familiar with. It's 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent, for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you, because of your lack of self-control. First, let me say that I love that the Bible talks about these kinds of topics. <laughs> Anyone that says that the Bible is irrelevant has clearly not read it. Um, second, let me say that this passage specifically is not written to couples who are having marital problems. This, this passage is not saying that your spouse should have sex with you whether they want to or not because you have authority over their body. That's not what it's saying. 
Paul is writing to a group of Christians who are trying to figure out what it means to be in process with Jesus. And they have questions based on his previous writings and his life example. They want to know, should everyone be single like Paul? Should, should they get divorced and just focus on their relationship with Jesus? Is focusing on bodily needs in general wrong? Or should they just live to feed the Spirit? And if they're going to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus, should they deny every bodily pleasure? See the difference there? However, this passage points out that as a married person, not only does your body fall under the authority of Christ, but it also falls under the authority of your spouse, and that is very real. The two have become one, and we are to look to the needs of our spouse. Paul also acknowledges that depriving our spouse for a prolonged period of time isn't desirable because it opens them up to temptation, and generally, we as people have a trouble, trouble with self-control. To honor God with your bodies as a married couple means working towards unity in our differences. It means getting on the same page and coming up with a plan that works for both of you as a couple. It means offering forgiveness to your spouse if they hurt you. It means seeking healing in those places that are divided. I believe it means working towards coming together again and being in process together under Christ's authority. In the absence of working to honor God and our spouse with our bodies, I have seen people fall into temptation and, and it is never good. It hinders our witness. It leaves people and families broken. I believe God is calling us to something better that we as believers can model his reconciliation, his love, and the unity in our relationships. It doesn't require physical intimacy, but being under Christ's authority and using our bodies to honor him is not an option for us. The reality is one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That means everyone on this planet, whoever lived, will one day submit to the authority of Christ. Whether it's now or later, it's coming. God says, surrender and live under my authority with your body now. Choose this day whom you will serve and whose authority you will live under. I think surrendering to God is a way that we fight those battles. Surrendering our will, our desire, our bodies to him is a way to live victoriously, surrendering to Christ. So let's pray together. God, as we, as we fight in our spirit to surrender to your authority in all things, God, we know that we have been purchased with the blood of your son. And we are in awe. And God, in many ways in our culture and in our life, we struggle to work out 
how that looks being under your authority with who we are versus what our culture is telling us is our body and our choice. And God, renew our thinking, renew our hearts. May we surrender in all things, especially God, with our bodies where your temple dwells. May we fight, God, by surrendering to you. And may the victory, the joy be yours. And God, may we experience your blessing as we do. God, as a church, heal us. Heal our brokenness. Heal our marriages. Heal our kids. God, may we surrender to your authority. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the New Stanton Church Podcast. We'd love to connect with you. So visit our website at newstantonchurch.com, follow the Get Involved tab, and RSVP to our next meet and greet.